The Naive Theater of the Air presents Rewired by Matthew Broyles. Episode 12, All the Woo in the World. Major Levine was waiting outside Colonel Haley's office when he arrived that morning. Well, that can't be good. Levine nodded and eased a telegram out of his jacket pocket, saying nothing. Haley took the hint and led them both into the office, shutting the door behind them. Accepting the telegram from Levine... He sat down at his desk before reading it. Twice. What the fuck is this? That's all he sent, but... Hello? What the fuck is this? What the fuck is what? No transcript, no details. We have two more inbound and we don't know when, where, why, or how. Or who. Look, I told you about Viper. He's not the only asshole I know. For fuck's sake, I did what you asked me to. This is what I got. You know we can pull that transcript. Yes, I know. So what's the problem? The problem is that you still think that this is personal. You still think that you can edit. This has gone beyond comfort zones. Pull the damn transcript. I don't care. And have a look at my email logs while you're at it. See whose name doesn't appear anywhere in the sent box. Haley came within a second of slamming the phone down. Then caught Levine's gaze. He hit the mute button. Looked at the Major. You've already sent me the transcript. It's like he says... That's all he got. Seems like all he could get. And nothing to Ahania. The Major shook his head. Haley pulled in a sigh and released the mute button. Dr. Lilly, I'm sorry. Just a little stressful around here. I appreciate all you're doing. We'll keep you posted on new intel and wait for the next update from your end. I know whose side I'm on, Colonel. Well, now I know another asshole. I was going to brief you first. I know. I just... God damn it, these eggheads piss me off sometimes. Coffee. About twelve, yes. The Major stepped out as the Colonel read the transcript and annotations Levine had added. The conversation was odd like a bad play. Haley shook his head as the Major returned with the coffee. These people think they're on TV. They know they're being watched. That was worth remembering, Haley thought. Barrett was establishing a character for the benefit of whoever ended up reading this. It seemed clear that Lily was not the only intended audience. Anything at all from the line? Nothing. Ahania? No posts since the shoe letter. Damn. VEF have anything from the field? If they do, they're keeping it too tight for us to pick up. All VEF communications were tapped, of course. Haley knew it was politically unpopular. But he was running an army, not a law school. The thought reminded him of something he'd been putting off. I think we have to bring the governors in. We don't have much in the way of actionable evidence. Yes, but by the time we do, it'll be clear that we've been sitting on what little we do have. Then we'll have a double shitstorm. Levine nodded warily. A silence fell. They both knew what it meant to bring politicians into the mix, especially in a republic with five governors. Still, it could potentially bring more resources to bear. The VEF had close ties with the territorial governments, as did the Disciples. But if word got out of two approaching seers, the two soldiers shared a glance. 
they had reached the same conclusion. Okay. Maybe not yet. Fuck. What are they going to do? Fire me? Levine chuckled a bit <laughs> and took a sip of his coffee. He seemed distracted. What? All guesswork. Everything is guesswork. Point. I'm just wondering about this lock and key business. Two seers, both en route to the guru. Except he doesn't know what to do with them. Or he does and isn't saying. I think we know Dr. Lilly better than that. He seems legitimately confused by all this. True. He thinks Barrett is setting him up for some reason. Maybe he's right. You don't think we should allow them through? Through? Yes. Otherwise, the wires get them. But maybe we shouldn't be in a hurry to bring them both to Aeolian. We know nothing about the Second Seer, and based on what we do know about Selden... I just have a hard time believing that Barrett wants to cause damage to the Diaspora. Any of it. Even if it does hurt Lily. He knows how fragile the rewired world is. It'll bring him down, too. What if he's been compromised? By who? Washington? They'd have done that long ago. Not with Horowitz in the way. All of this started while Horowitz was still in power. Just barely. We don't know how long that game was. Haley pondered it. It was possible that Barrett and Weiss had rotted Horowitz's foundations before the vote. Weiss is no traitor. The man fought door to door to keep Brooklyn from the wires. Barrett and Weiss are two different people, and only one of them knows Ahania. You think she got to him? Jesus Christ. Would he switch sides for a piece of ass? Helen, Cleopatra... The colonel was dumbstruck. He had to consider the possibility, given their history. But to hear Lily tell it, Barrett had been rejected. Maybe that wasn't the whole truth. What do you know about all that business with Nightheart? It's hard to know anything for sure. You remember the chaos. He did remember, all too well. Threats from Washington, FBI raids, UN resolutions. Haley hadn't even met Lily back then. Neither had Levine. The lab in Austin was a black box, only opening long enough to release new and more controversial rewiring techniques, broadcast far and wide to the alarm of pretty much everyone in power. Eventually, the disgruntled corporate backers called in the feds, and the reclamation had been triggered. That was when Haley had made his choice. The choice. The one that brought him here. You know, my dad told me everything there was to know about war. He told me it was a racket, a way for rich men to make poor men die for profit. Your dad was Smedley Butler? <laughs> Boy, did I know that name. A racket is best described, I believe, as something that is not what it seems to the majority of the people. Only a small, inside group knows what it's about. It is conducted for the benefit of the very few at the expense of the very many. Out of war, a few people make huge fortunes. I can't argue with that. No, neither could I. But the old man died just before I graduated high school. And there we were going to war anyway. All my dumbass unemployed classmates were signing up. I figured if I didn't join the army, the only people running it would be idiots and sheep. Delusions of grandeur. Well, it turned out I was good at it. I knew war was organized chaos. I met too many COs who didn't understand that. Those are the ones to watch out for. They'll get you killed every time. Glad I made the cut. Shit, Levine. You know I wouldn't be here if you hadn't tipped me off to what they were doing with the wire. We did what we had to do. No telling how many of our troops kind of wish we didn't. You made those men and women heroes. They were tools for the corpse before that. You gave them a chance to be a part of something great. Something for the history books. 
History is written by the victors. We'll see. You're no good at taking compliments. Neither are you. Anyway, if you were a betting man, where would you put a squad to watch for incoming? The fort. Mm, makes sense. If they know about it. If they don't, they're going to get captured. It's the only entry point from that direction where we still have a free flow of traffic. VEF uses it, and we know at least one of the seers is allied with them. Right. Okay. Alert Lieutenant Graham in Stephenville. She patrols mineral wells. They're in the Abilene Territory, so... Go around Governor Milam and his many wives. I know. God damn, I hate government. You are the government. Haley hated when he said things like that. Alone in his office, he browsed the queue of maintenance reports and fiddly bits that had accumulated over the past few hours. And those were the ones that had already been filtered by the staff. He shuddered a bit at the thought of how much data got thrown his way on a daily basis. It didn't make sense for one man to be in charge of so much. And technically he wasn't. But if he didn't do it, the thought depressed him. He realized he hadn't eaten any breakfast. He stepped out to the hallway and grabbed a self-heating water cup into which he emptied a pack of oatmeal. A small group of trainees came down the hall, led by Major Gonzalez, all of them frantically saluting the colonel. Putting his oatmeal down, he returned the salutes and motioned Gonzalez to carry on. He was glad to see young faces on the base. The reclamation generation was well into middle age. Thankfully, many of their kids had taken up the family business. One day, he hoped, some young buck would come along who was more fit for command than him, and he could retire if such a thing as retirement even existed in the Republic. All hands had been on deck for the past 28 years. He had a hard time envisioning a future in which anyone could relax. Colonel? Speak of the goddamn devil. What is it? Ice storm? Tornado? Frack quake? What? Newsbot. The Major turned his display towards Haley. The video was in scratchy 2D, a shadow of its original sensory overload form, translated into safe mode from the wire. It was a congressional hearing. Some suit mouthing platitudes about national security. This is important. Why? Who's the pretty boy? Taylor Hockaday, national security advisor. Live feed. Look behind him. Colonel moved closer, searching the screen. Then he saw. His eyes popped. Holy shit. On the row immediately behind the national security advisor sat an older version of the face on Dr. Lilly's refrigerator. Still striking, even at 53. She smiled slightly, as if in on her own private joke. Facial recognition pulled this up? First time it's done that for her. Haley scratched his chin. This was too much. Rumors had circulated for decades about Dr. Neidhart working in Washington, but she'd never turned up on a live cast feed. And behind the NSA, no less. She knew she was being watched. She wanted to be seen. By someone. So the question becomes... Which one is she fishing for? Could be both. I'm going to be really pissed if all this turns out to be lover's revenge. It's a lot of trouble to go to for that. There are levels of involvement here. Sex is the least of what these scientists did. But it's still leverage. I want somebody monitoring Lily's connection 24-7. I don't like this. You've already got someone on it. Way ahead of you. I'll continue monitoring this hearing. But I doubt it'll be anything substantive. Not on the wire. I still don't like it. Maybe that's part of the point. Haley shook his head and walked back to his office. Too many mind games going on. Too many things that could be other things. Faints, false positives, double crossing. 
Maybe when the precious cargo arrived, some of the puzzle pieces would fall into place. One thing was certain. When it got to Eolian, Colonel Levi Haley would be there. this was Miss Low-Key Ride, Nina wished she could see the uptown one. Not that she had much to compare it with, other than the battered rental Vincent had driven. Still, she liked the feel of the leather seats, the gleam from the polished wood in the dashboard. She also liked his onboard music library, his juke as he called it, to which he gave her free reign. Nina was still trying hard not to smirk when she caught a glimpse of the old biddy stuck in the back seat. It was a small victory, but in her life she had been afforded very few of those. She was glad to have good vibes in the car, because the scenery outside was not much to look at. The rolling Tennessee hills had given way to the Arkansas Pine Corridor, crammed packed with 18-wheelers and muddy road spray on the windshield. It didn't seem to bother Mist much. No longer in suit and tie, but still nattily dressed in a gray button-down shirt and brown sport coat, wearing a dark straw fedora. His face remained pleasantly passive, and he spoke only when he had a factoid about a particular piece of music, like the one that had just come on. Oh, now you gotta listen to this. Bernie Worrell. That shit's crazy. Bootsy Collins on bass? Can't beat that. How do you know all this stuff? Somebody been around as long as me and they ain't learned a few things? I don't even know how to help them. Just how long have you been around? Let's just say when they dropped the hammer on New Orleans, my legs could still move quick enough to outrun it. You knew it was coming? Everybody did at the end. Trouble was, no one could get out. But I found a way. By then, though, it was too late for me to tell anyone else about it. I'm sorry, that must be hard to talk about. <sighs> Lots of memories. Mostly friends. My mom's died when I was 13 and my dad wasn't much to talk to. He was still wired when I left. She let the music fill the silence. She hated bringing up bad memories that didn't even have to do with the wire. But looking over at him, she saw that he was still thinking. You know, Dr. Stone was no leader, but he was a good man. I met him once when I was working at Tulane. You were a professor? <laughs> no, ma'am. Maintenance. Dr. Stone wasn't there much since he was out training doctors all over town to do the rewire, but I had to fix his window one time. Usually we do that after hours, but the bugs were coming in through a crack. Springtime in Narlins and all. Anyway, he was just sitting there at his desk, minding his business. Then he got quiet, and I noticed he was looking at me. He held out his right arm toward Nina, and made a motion for her to roll up the sleeve. She did. There was a tattoo on the lower forearm. A singing man wearing dark glasses. Who's that? Oh girl, you're hurting my feelings now. <laughs> that tat looked a lot better back then. Ray Charles. Damn right. Dr. Stone knew exactly who it was and he came over to talk at me. I felt a little nervous. We weren't supposed to bother the brain trust. But he got all excited. Turned out some great grandfather of his played trombone and raised band for a while. He had all these stories. I guess that's how you know all this stuff. Brother Ray here has definitely opened a few conversations over the years. That was one of the best ones. 
Dr. Stone said to come by again sometime, but I always felt weird thinking I could just knock on some professor's door to jib-jab. I definitely didn't want my supervisor catching me at it. Stone was a brilliant man. It's a shame he had no protection. Oh, he had protection. Just the wrong kind. Elvin James was bad news. I knew that from the minute I saw him. You knew Reverend James too? I'm happy to say that I didn't. But it was hard not to see him. Making the rounds of the churches, getting all Dr. King on everybody, saving us from oppression. He had the right words and the right message, but he was crooked all the way through. Leaning on doctors to charge more for the rewire and give him a cut since he was sending them so many clients. Got everybody worked up thinking he was going to lead the revolution. Shit. When the feds finally showed up, he was halfway to Cuba. Poor Dr. Stone got left in the cold. Did they ever find James? If the wires found him, they ain't telling. He was a plant on the FBI payroll. Maybe. Sometimes bad is just bad. He had no idea where they were. The trees and rain blurred everything into a dank, brown-gray, impressionist painting, melting in front of a diesel exhaust pipe. Ina tried to resist pursuing the thread, but couldn't. How did you get rewired? My buddy Trayvon. He was always on about fighting the power. We went to a few meetings, before the Reverend, before they got profitable. I wasn't any kind of freedom fighter, but I didn't like the way things were, and I thought it wouldn't hurt to see what folks had to say. The Liberation Front. More like a Liberation Club at the time. Pretty quick roll call back then. A lot of aimless kids who were smart enough not to go gangster, but didn't really know what else to do. Me and Trayvon were just barely out of the projects, but we were out. We got an apartment together in an okay neighborhood with his girl, Christina. What, you didn't have a girl? Why, I gotta just have one. A dog, I knew it. Anyhow, Christina was a nurse up at the psych ward. Nina sank back a little in her chair. She hadn't had an episode so far in the car. She wondered what Miss made of Vincent's brain seizure explanation. He showed no sign of treading lightly. It was a tough job working with the head cases, but it made good money. So one day they bring in this hippie dude. She does her thing, but as far as she can tell, ain't nothing wrong with him. Then the doctor on duty comes in, doesn't even check the chart, prescribes all these pills. Christina's been there a while and knows what they do. Painkillers, muscle relaxants, all ways to just keep him shut up. Malpractice. So Christina holds off on giving him the meds, waits till the doctor's gone and goes in to talk with this man. Turns out the FBI brought him in. He gives her the whole scoop on rewiring. He was from Austin, one of Dr. Lilly's prototypes. Wow, that was early days. He got moved out by the feds a few days later, but she told that story at our next front meeting. We got a little worked up. A few months went by without anything else, but when word came out that a doctor trained by Dr. Lilly had come to town, we all went down and had it done. Brave, especially when you knew that story. Trayvon figured they couldn't arrest all of us. I guess he was right. We just didn't know there was something worse they could do. No one could have expected that. I'm the only one that got out. Only one I know of, anyway. I think about them every day. The ones I left behind. I'm sure you had no choice. What the Wireds did there was pure evil. You're lucky to have escaped. I've tried to live like a lucky man. I should be dead. Here I am, still on bonus time. 
And that's why I do this. Harry Seldon was officially finished with boats. Their passage down the Mississippi was smoother than the Lake Erie trip, or the god-awful New York canoe ride for that matter, but Harry suspected he had been born without sea legs. The ground on which men stood was not meant to wobble, as far as he was concerned, nor was it supposed to smell like fish and rot. The fragrance which had worked its way into his every pore during his brief tenure on the barge, Twain could keep his mighty river. Harry's eyes, locked on the horizon, had been the first to spot the Great Pyramid. He knew it was an arena, not an ancient burial chamber, but rising from the banks of the muddy river it was a beacon, the light of freedom. Maybe not from his mission, but from the swirling currents below. When next he crossed them, it would be with concrete beneath his feet. Or at least he hoped so. The question of passage from Memphis to Texas still lay open, but they were so close now so much closer than they'd been when they'd started. And behind schedule. If the VEF wanted them to dodge the wired radar, Harry'd guess was that they were going to need to hit the gas. His father had taken no notice of the approaching city. The old man buried his head in manual labor, a safe haven where expectations were clear and outcomes predictable. For him, landfall brought more swirling currents, not less. Harry could understand that. But he, for one, was dying to know what precisely the fuck all of this was about. The barge lumbered up to a sopping dock at last. They had passed the pyramid, and the glow of the city on higher ground lit up the low cloud bellies in the low twilight. A bridge with a rude steel frame rusted overhead. Clearly the servant's entrance to the town. It took until dark to unload the barge, after which they were paid. Not enough, in Harry's considered opinion, but their funds had been running low for some time and any income was better than none. Parting company with the crew, they kept to the shoreline on their way north towards their destination. Harry had gotten a Memphis street map from Jazz before their launch, and knew at least geographically where they were going. There had been a time not so long ago when Harry would have been uneasy walking through a strange city at night. Now getting jumped by hoods was the least of his worries. Somewhere, speeding to and fro along the net, the shape of his fate was forming and its architects were not consulting him. He was not altogether sure whose vision he had become part of, but he could not think of any way in which that situation was not utterly terrifying. Finally rising into the city proper, they made their way onto Butler Avenue. Harry guessed that this was not the most photogenic side of Memphis. However, most of the cars were running, which is more than could be said for his old neighborhood in Brooklyn. In fact, this reminded him a lot of Borough Park, Careworn buildings, clinging to usefulness. Dimly lit windows, revealing signs of life where few things grew. A home for survivors. As they got onto Main Street, the vibe shifted, partially due to the presence of other pedestrians in their midst. It was late in the dinner hour, and table seats were exchanging occupants up and down the block. The early birds weaved here and there on the way to their vehicles, or to the streetcar stop not too far off. Harry caught the outlines of curves swaddled in winter coats. He ogled, despite himself. 
A fair bit of the foot traffic seemed to be filtering through their destination. An old greasy spoon, whose facade was too beat up to be fake. Age and dogged determination had conferred status on the place long before Harry's time, he surmised. Peering in as nonchalantly as possible, Lars stepped away and towards the curb. Way too many eyeballs. Gotta wait till things slow down. Harry understood the caution, but he was hungry. Not for the first time, he cursed his human frailty. The air was thick with the smell of frying things. Unhealthy things, swimming in boiling fat. He could think of nothing he wanted more. We don't have to announce ourselves right away. We can just be customers. Hang out till the herd thins. Sipping our beers and staring at each other for a few hours. As opposed to loitering out here in the cold? Harry knew his father didn't like it. Not only that they had no better options, but that his panty-waist kid was right. The more blocks they walked, the more surveillance they would encounter. The old man shifted. Maybe there's a non-verbal way to get our cargo tag stamped. This isn't like in St. Louis. We don't know who's who. All those damned kids waiting tables can't be in the pocket. Then why the fuck were we sent here? For a moment, he eyed his dad. Something inside clicked, in a place where it hadn't before. Why was he having this discussion? There was no chain of command here. Not one, but two grown-ass men stood at this crossroads. Harry shook his head. He straightened his jacket, turned on one heel, and walked through the foggy glass doors, leaving his father smoldering on the sidewalk. He sat near the window, ordered two burgers, about a million fries, and a bottle of whatever could get to his table the fastest. Harry didn't look, but he could feel his old man glaring at him from outside the window. A short time later, Harry saw him walk in and take a seat at the bar. Good, Harry thought. Let him stew. After swallowing the first burger whole, Harry slowed down to savor the rest of the food. He did have some time to kill while the joint cleared out a bit. The people watching was good here. His eyes scanned for anything surreptitious between patron and staff. If this was a VEF safe house, surely some of these customers were rewired. However, after a half hour of observation, he had spotted nothing remotely resembling a secret handshake. Probably why the place was still open. Whatever was going on behind the scenes, it was well hidden. His plate now empty, Harry kept the drinks coming. Occupying restaurant real estate for too long was suspicious in and of itself. He had no wish to make himself stick out in the eyes of the staff or anyone else. The old man sat stiffly at the bar, eyes piercing some middle distance Harry couldn't see. As usual, he thought about Grandpa Selden, what he would make of this journey, who was, in fact, the reason this journey had ever happened. He wondered what the wired experience of this place was like. What alternate universe wired Harry would be thinking right now? If he would have existed at all. Harry was raised from his reverie by the arrival of an hourglass shape through the door. Unbidden, his eyes followed. Only when the shape turned in his direction did he realize that its owner was a few years older than he would have guessed from behind. Still, everything was very well preserved. Then her eyes met his. He nearly choked on his beer. She was beautiful. Strikingly so. And she knew it. She held his gaze for a moment and cast a cursory glance around. The smoky eyes caught his again, and she made her way towards him, as nonchalantly as a jaguar in a field of gazelles. The seat opposite him at the table was indeed the only free one in the place. Part of him cursed the possibility of blown cover, but another much more insistent part couldn't believe his luck. Is this spot taken? 
Not at all. He had nothing to pretend to go back to doing, so he worried at his beer bottle label a bit. She noticed. The woman settled gracefully into the seat, placing a small handbag on her lap. She was dressed all in black, with a dark brown boyish haircut outlining her angular face. If he'd been pressed, he would have guessed her age to be around 40-something. She seemed to be assessing him as well, almost clinically. From the slight smile she wore, he appeared to amuse her. First time in town? How'd you guess? Me too. Anyway, I could get one of those bottles. Sure. The strange woman's eyes strayed to the window as he ordered her a beer. The smile remained. At the bar, the old man remained stoic, facing the back wall, oblivious to the new arrival, who had returned her gaze to Harry. This is a very old place. Mound builders. Beg pardon? I mean, before DeSoto got here, the people who lived here built mounds. Huh. I wonder why. Why does anyone do anything? <laughs> why, indeed. The waitress brought two bottles. The woman took one, holding it gingerly between two slender fingers as she took a quick sip. He shifted a bit. If he didn't know any better, he would think he was being seduced. But he did know better. Even if he couldn't quite say why, or what was going on instead. He didn't want it to stop, though. Where are you visiting from? Des Moines. You? New York. Good to get out of the city now and then. How do you find Middle America? Big. Easy to get lost in, but sometimes that's good, too. He liked her. Wanted to like her. Wanted her to like him. That seemed important. And she knew it. Driving or flying? Bus, mostly. You don't see anything unless you walk around. Oof, tough month for it. Following the birds. Where to next? He wasn't quite prepared for that one. He was sure that it showed. Visibly, he collected his thoughts. Don't know yet. I'm a leaf on the wind. Her dark eyes smiled. Chuckled, even. He was worth their time, for now. A woman like this found him entertaining. It was both unnerving and thrilling. What about you? I like this place. Interesting find. A bit off a path. Hmm. So how long are you in town? I am a leaf on the wind. They shared a silent, motionless laugh. And something else. Harry got the distinct impression that she was rewired. He couldn't tell exactly how he knew, but he did. And she did, too. About him. It felt a little dangerous. Much like she did. Sitting there in that form-hugging outfit, talking with a stranger in a bar. He flushed a little. She knew. Harry wondered what it was like, walking around having that effect on everyone. For the first time, she lowered her eyes as she absentmindedly rummaged in her handbag. He felt the absence of attention immediately. Viscerally. Actually, I'm meeting a friend down the block in a few minutes. He runs a rental car company. She fished out a nondescript business card and pushed it across the table. Her hand retracted before his reached the card. The heat of her gaze returned, and with it, the sense of being seen, both inside and out. Probably not in my price range. Tell him it's on Andrea's tab. Taking another sip of beer, she leaned back, pleased with herself. Harry was dumbfounded. Things like this didn't happen. Whatever this thing was. That's very kind of you. I don't know what to say. She cocked her head thoughtfully, turned her eyes to the frost-encrusted window. Her next words were vaguely distant, 
as if they were being read on the surface of another planet through a telescope. As in science, the truth of things may be found by knowing oneself as an object in motion. To truly discover who you are, step out of your sanctuary and into the wind. That's really profound. He was. Very profound. Harry had the sense that she had stepped into another scene somehow. A fourth wall had gone up, and he had moved unwittingly from center stage to a balcony seat. They sat like that for a few moments more. She in her perfect statuesque oblivion, and he in his awkward, abject confusion. It was beautiful, in an uncanny way. He remained still, fearful of breaking the spell. And yet... And those who were seen dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. At that, she turned. He was once again transported back into the glow of the strange woman's attention. A fleeting sensation, he knew but nonetheless rewarding for the effort. He wondered what it must be like to be someone who was granted a longer audience. He marveled at the damage path this woman had to have left behind her as a result. Yes, very profound. And in one swift motion, the parting ritual which had always been waiting in the wings made its way onto the proscenium. A tuck of the handbag, a straightening of the jacket, and she was rising. Harry's manners belatedly kicked in and he rose with her. Very nice meeting you, Mr... Nussbaum. Arvin Nussbaum. Their hands touched briefly. She had been outside just a few minutes previously, and yet her fingers were warm. One of many things that didn't make any sense. She nodded, shook his hand, and finally broke eye contact as she headed for the door. He watched her sway unhurriedly down the block, until the shadows pulled her form from his eyes. It was weird. The whole thing... And only now that she was out of sight did it occur to him that she hadn't paid for her beer. As if a woman like her ever did. Harry saw that the dinner crowd was clearing out now, loosening the staff's formerly hurried pace. Glancing at the bar, he noticed that the bar stools immediately surrounding his father had been vacated. And the old man had taken up a surreptitious conversation with a narrow-headed, bespectacled man who appeared to be the manager. Harry was content to let his dad be the business end of this deal. He figured the old man had to have calmed down by now. Or not. In any case, the mission was still on. He approached the bar and took up a space two seats down from his father. The thin man gave Harry a cursory glance and continued his conversation with the geezer. Apparently, he'd already been identified as Arvind. The name still rankled him a bit. The two men were talking low enough that he only made out a word here and there. A fair amount of shrugging was taking place behind the bar. Harry began to suspect things weren't going as well as they could be. His dad's tight expression solidified this impression. Harry braced himself and scooted over one stool. Only then did his father reluctantly acknowledge him. Things have tightened. Transport's going to be tricky. We can at least get to Texas, surely. Dallas? Maybe Fort Worth. Further's going to be dicey. My regulars won't even go that far right now. I sent my only willing driver out this morning with Nina. Harry stared blankly at him. Once again, he felt as if he'd woken up inside a movie. And everyone except him had been given a script. Just the thought. He returned the man's gaze. Nina who? She said you'd know. Someone you know? Yeah, she... She was in the ward with me. What the fuck is she doing out here? There was only one common denominator. Was she with an older woman? A bit spiky? The man nodded. Harry saw understanding slap his dad in the face. They stared at each other for a moment. 
Bigger things were in motion. And they were behind schedule. God damn it, we need a ride. Letting the VEF down would be the end of his dad, Harry knew. He felt the weight of the card in his pocket. It was too coincidental. Do you know that woman I was talking to by the window earlier? What woman? She gave me this. His father snatched the card. The barman gave it a once-over. I've never seen her before, but that company's just down the block. I've used them before. We can't afford to rent a car to Texas. She said it was... He fumbled, knowing how naive and stupid it sounded. How utterly fucking ridiculous it actually was. She said to put it on her tab. Shit. Someone's on to us. Don't you think if they knew we were here, we'd be under arrest by now? What the hell did this woman look like? Middle-aged, brunette, more than a little attractive. You get a name? Just Andrea. Does she know where we're going? As far as she knows, I'm a drifter. This is a setup. Dad, we're in their territory. They don't need a setup. We're sitting ducks. I don't like it. We can catch up with them, which won't happen on a bus. I do know a good path. I can give you the details. They'll be tracking the car. Those coordinates are probably just what they want. I know a shop that can sweep for bugs. The longer we spend in wired space, the more chances they have to pick us up. Let's get this shit over with and make a run for it. The old man didn't agree, but he didn't argue either. Harry felt a brief moment of uneasy triumph. I'm Mal, by the way. Let me finish up down here and then we can work out some logistics upstairs. Harry nodded. The truth was, he didn't trust Andrea either. But given the number of moving pieces already in play... He was prepared not to dismiss opportunity out of hand. Whoever she was working for, they couldn't be more insane than the VEF. He hoped. He allowed his thoughts to drift to Nina. That was a name he hadn't expected. But it would be good to see her again. If they both made it in one piece. been listening to the naive theater of the air performance of Rewired, featuring Keegan McEnroe as Colonel Levi Haley, Antonio Thomas as Major Curtis Levine, Ed Rogers as Dr. Waylon Lilly, Benjamin Napier as Mist, Trista Morris as Nina, Mana as Dr. Romana Vinson, Reed Perry as Lars, Levi Ray as Harry, Petra Wright as Dr. Gabriella Neidhart, and Clay Anderson as Mal. Written and narrated by Matthew Broyles. Theme music by Paul Shapira. I'm Little Jack Melody. Tune in next time for episode 13, The Prince of Darkness is a Gentleman.